0: setting up stripe was a breeze taking just minutes to get up and running from local markets to global retailers stripe helped me expand my reach and grow my business with ease to learn how tap to pay on iphone and stripe can help grow your revenue and reach visit stripe.com slash tap iphone
1: thanks to everyone who supports daily tech news show directly to find out more head to daily tech news support This is the Daily Tech News for Tuesday, November 13th, 2018. In Los
3: Angeles, I'm Tom Merritt.
2: And from Studio Feline, I'm Sarah Lane.
3: And from dark and cold Finland, I'm Patrick Beja.
4: And uh, from underneath overcast skies in LA County, I'm the producer Roger Chick. Uh Thanks to everybody who's who reached out on Twitter
1: or by email asking if we're okay out here in LA uh, with the fires. Thankfully, all three of us are in places unaffected directly. Uh, there was some smoke in the air this weekend. Not going to lie, uh, it was it was pretty thick at, at times. But uh, they they seem to have started to get it under control. It flared back up today, but thankfully. None of it affecting us directly, but thank you for for thinking of us. And uh, we are going to talk today about the Amazon headquarters announcement. We're going to talk about the call for cybersecurity from the president of France. But let's start with a few other tech things you should know.
2: Microsoft released its Windows 10 October 2018 update for the second time after fixing some bugs that deleted data accidentally. Microsoft released the fixes over a month ago, but took time to test them before re-releasing to the public.
3: Intel announced the XMM8160 5G multimode modem six months ahead of schedule in order to support deployments of 5G mobile network around the world for launch in the second half of 2019. The modem will provide 5G connectivity to phones, PCs, and broadband access gateways with peak speeds of Six gigabits per second. Mm, Six.
1: Nice. Peak. Snapchat is adding something called friendship profiles, which highlights interactions between you and your closest friends. There's also Bitmoji stories which are comic book-like stories that will feature you and your friends' Bitmojis. And you now have the ability to buy t-shirts and mugs with you and your friends' Bitmoji avatars on them, which I think is probably the most genius of all three of these. Novels.
2: Yeah, uh, the, the, the first two, I was like, eh. But then I was like, hmm, Bitmoji t-shirt. <laughs> would buy?
3: Well, maybe you would, but you're not in the Target demo. Uh, or are I- we? <laughs> Or are Sarah, you? Sarah maybe. and I both be what wearing I'm sorry, Sarah, products.
2: but you will not be able to buy a Vipmoji t-shirt. You're too old. No, I mean, that,
3: I don't <laughs> think they, th- these things fit their target demographic. But maybe, maybe I'm wrong.
1: Let's talk a little more about autonomous car service. It keeps saying it's going to come soon.
3: And guess what? A source tells Bloomberg that Waymo is planning to launch a commercial driverless car service in early December under a new brand name. Waymo reportedly isn't planning a media event around the launch, choosing instead to start small, perhaps dozens or hundreds of authorized riders around the Phoenix suburbs, covering about a 100 square miles. Waymo's early rider program already has 400 volunteer families who have been testing Waymo's service for more than a year under non-disclosure agreements. That's surprising. It didn't leak. Alphabet removed the Google branding from its cars and created Waymo in December, 2016.
1: Yeah. So uh, we, it, we have talked about the early rider program. Uh, the, the non-disclosure agreements apply to the people not talking about their experiences uh, with there, but it was known that they're doing it, and I don't see too much of a difference between the early rider program and what Bloomberg is saying Waymo might launch, other than a name change.
2: It sounds like what this is an, is an expansion of that early rider yeah. program. 400 families is, I mean, that's 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 a decent amount of people. Sure. Assuming that most families are going to be more than a couple folks, um, but 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 yeah it's it's going to stay in the phoenix area it's going to be basically the same routes that have already been tested it sounds like Waymo is ready to take it to the next step, which is a good thing, um, and I would love to know what the brand name is going to be called. That's
1: totally where my head went too. <laughs> the first thing I did with the Bloomberg story was say, it's not the world's first commercial. We've got had Newtonomy. Last week on the show, we talked about Guangzhou operating a for pay service. Granted, I guess it's a public service, even though you have to pay for it, but whatever. That part doesn't matter. I'm more about like, what are they going to call it? uh
3: i just want to say i agree with what you're saying about the fact that it's just an expansion of the early riders program but going commercial does still mean something you know it's like when your game is in alpha for a long time and then it launches it it changes the perception it changes the expectation so i think it does have uh, it does matter
1: like now you're paying for it that 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 does change your your attitude it. very true Mm.
2: Google suffered an outage Monday that included not only itself, but other cloud customers, when several million of its IP addresses were misrouted. Uh, Main One Cable Company in Lagos, Nigeria, mistakenly updated routing tables, which were then accepted by China Telecom, which then spread globally. Main One also affected Cloudflare's IP addresses, some of them anyway, with another mistaken table update. Google and Cloudflare both say that they believe the actions were errors. Not malicious. Cloudflare CEO Matthew Prince told Ars Technica it was a big, ugly screw up.
1: Yeah, because China Telecom has been caught doing some some weird misdirections over a, like a thirty month period before, when China Telecom was the one involved with the propagation of this, uh, a lot of eyebrows have been raised and a, a lot of eyebrows are still firmly raised because of that. But Cloudflare, Google, uh, the the routing uh, the the nonprofit routing organization that that handles management of the tables for the internet, they all say this this is not what. Something malicious would look like they would do a better job of hiding it, especially because all of these i p addresses instead of routing traffic through China Telecom and then back to where it was going, just died at a router at China Telecom because it didn't have anywhere else to go after that, causing a service outage, which is what caused people to notice it, and it only lasted uh i don't know uh, something along the order of a day
3: or less i, I- do have a little bit of a, I mean, a question. I'm not sure exactly how that part works technically, but what if it was to be used maliciously? Like, could any organization change the routing tables and then get them validated, and that would screw up uh, Google and Cloudflare for everyone? It, what What are the the safeguards against? No, this? it's a I'm great surprised question. It seems so easy
1: because the Border Gateway pr- Protocol uh, is not normally uh, encrypted and it should be. Uh, and in fact, Cloudflare CEO made a point of saying like, "Hey, this is a good time to start cryptographically signing and verifying your border gateway p- protocols and make that the standard everywhere because these mistakes can't happen then or at least it's much harder for them to happen." If if this were malicious, what would have happened is the Lagos ISP would have changed the border table in a way that China Telecom would have then taken it, passed it through their country, and then on to its destination. And it would have taken a while for Google to notice, like, hey, uh, uh, this data is taking a little longer, the, the, the latency is a little weird, and then they could have tracked it down. But yeah, and it, it's, re- it's a system that relies it, on the trust of to the do- ISPs.
3: Sorry, this this is would be if they wanted to do a man in the middle and see what's happening through the traffic, right? What well, if they just not, want to shut e- it down?
1: Not exactly. I mean, you can do a man in the middle without having to do this. That's the other thing, right? Mm. This okay. is all this is all encrypted traffic, so it's not like the fact that it went through China is in any way says oh, now China has all of Google's data. It's not like that. It's just this data wasn't supposed to go that direction. So I guess if you wanted to be malicious, you could. Force this to happen, so that then you could collect it and try to break the cryptography on it. No, uh, but what
3: if you just wanted to stop working because customers were not able to use Google? Yeah, that, I mean, my point you'd, is, you'd, what if you want to break? Sure, it?
1: Sure, the 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 companies that are in charge, the the ISPs in charge of this, uh, wouldn't do that. <laughs> they, okay, because then they would, everyone would stop peering with them, uh, and they they would go out of business. So and and that's the explanation for this by the way is there was a there was a a, a networking conference in Nigeria a couple of weeks before this happened and Google and Cloudflare are one of the few western companies in the Nigerian internet exchange who have peering agreements with this Nigerian ISP and so they feel like in implementing the new peering ag- arrangements it was just a typo basically so there you go uh amazon search for a new city to host its second headquarters will yield neither a second headquarters nor be located in a new city Amazon will build two new regional offices in the Long Island City neighborhood of Queens, New York, and another one in the Crystal City neighborhood of Arlington, Virginia, just outside of Washington, D.C. Amazon already has operations in both metropolitan areas. Amazon will make its existing operations in Nashville, its East Coast operations hub as well. So essentially, there are three new locations for Amazon. None of them really a headquarters, I don't think. Hiring, however, will begin in 2019 with average salaries promised of $150,000 a year. Uh, New York State is giving Amazon $1.5 billion in tax incentives. Arlington is giving $573 million and Nashville $102 million.
2: So as I understand it, uh, the offices that will be expanded in Long Island City and and Crystal City um, are some of Amazon's... Amazon already employs... A, a fair amount of employees there outside of its Seattle headquarters yeah. and a lot of folks that that uh, work in the bay area. So there are a lot of folks there as well. Now, you have other cities that were in the running to be the next new Amazon headquarters, you know, and some people say, "Well, wait a second, you know, what did Amazon just kind of know that they were going to do this the whole time because this is, these are two very obvious places to just expand rather than go into a new market um, in order to, you know, maybe uh, you know, d- uh, um get more tax credits from governments who wanted to make sure that they didn't pull out of these areas entirely.
1: Yeah. Uh I don't know that that is the only purpose. Uh I I wonder if maybe that was a side effect that they weren't too concerned about like hey, if we end right. up in New York and DC anyway, we get all this data about all these other cities, right? Yeah. Uh, that that can't hurt. Um yeah, cuz it does feel like they they did a lot of work to end up with the obvious conclusion of like, oh, well, we have thirty six, three 360,000 square feet of leased space in Manhattan uh, and a bunch of full-time workers there. And uh, the third biggest location or the fourth biggest location we have is in Washington, D.C. Let's just go there uh, because it's cheaper than San Francisco. That is one study I, I read on Recode is that the housing prices – in both these places, the Long Island City area of Queens and the the Crystal City area, which is right next to National Airport, it's the area that borders National Airport south from the Pentagon. That those are both uh, more affordable places to find housing than Seattle or San Francisco.
3: Patrick, mm. I <laughs> I want to give Amazon the benefit of the doubt here, but it does sound. I mean. Maybe you want to make, you know, to to do your due diligence and sure make sure that it wouldn't be advantageous to go somewhere else. But it really looks like they sniffed somewhere else and and you know talked to the people from the cities that they were already established in and went, hey, you know what? Those guys, they're offering this us this and that, which is, you know, it's fair. Um, there's no reason they shouldn't do it, I suppose, but it certainly seemed like HQ2 was a much bigger deal than it ends up being. It ends up in a in a yeah. poof, you know. When I, I yeah. think
1: that's the part that bugs me. If if we go from Amazon internally saying we need to expand uh, our campuses, where should we expand? And then they say, well, we've got a lot of people working in Manhattan. What if we got Long Island City, which has some office space going unused? To give us a location and we build a big operation there. Makes perfect sense. Audible's over in Newark. You got a lot of people in New York. You got a lot of talent. Uh, If you're looking at Washington, D.C., you say, oh, well, we've got got operations there. And AWS is bidding for the joint enterprise defense infrastructure contract with the Pentagon. Uh, Bezos owns a house there. It's the largest private residence in the D.C. area. Uh, Amazon is opening a data center in Loudoun County, Virginia, nearby, uh, possibly in support of the newly announced East Coast GovCloud operations of amazon dc makes perfect sense these locations make sense what bugs me is that they made a big deal out of how they're going to build one second headquarters and got all these cities who may not have been top of the list to try to compete for it and it makes it feel like well you the obvious choices were right there why did you make them do this song and dance unless it was just to gather a bunch of data about them
2: well, in 50,000 new jobs, that's a lot of jobs, but split between two cities. It's not as many jobs, yeah, that would be concentrated on one singular area. And I know a lot of cities were, you know, that, that was that was a huge draw to be included.
3: Yeah. Mm. So, I
1: don't I, know. It leaves a bad taste in my mouth. That's all.
3: Yeah, a little bit. I think if you're one of the cities that bent over backwards to... You know, try and get that HQ2, it leaves a really bad taste in your mouth. By the way, can't be happy.
1: Nuke Jello points out it's Reagan Airport. No one calls it national anymore. I'm from 1974. I apologize. Reagan
2: Airport. Here's something that will not leave a bad taste in anyone's mouth if you like podcasts. Anyway, Pandora launched the Podcast Genome Project. We had heard about this being in the works in the past. It's a new recommendation system paired with human editorial input to offer podcast suggestions for Pandora users, just like they do with music. Pandora says the Podcast Genome Project uses 1,500 attributes such as MPAA ratings, production style the content type, host profiles, and also how others are listening on Pandora through machine learning algorithms, natural language processing, and collaborative filtering methods. So, for example, if Pandora knows that there's a particular podcast that everybody bounces out about five minutes in, it's an hour podcast, well, that goes into the data along with a lot of other attributes.
1: I love this Mm. idea. If Pandora would list us... Yeah, no kidding. Um, uh, I, I and and I, I think it's great because the idea that it can find through some semantic analysis topics for you, like uh, episodes of shows that you might not uh, have listened to, I, I, that'd be great for DTNS. If people are like, Oh, I'm, I'm really into hearing about net neutrality today, or I'm really into hearing about electric trucks, right? Like they could discover our show in a way that that is new. And, and likewise, as a podcast listener, I think this is great because if I say, I just want to hear about this topic, Pandora can surface those kinds of episodes for me. I like it.
2: Yeah, and that's another something to note is that obviously podcasts can be audio or video, and this is focused on audio because it's Pandora. Uh, but I'm with you, Tom. I I I I I find podcasts really only one way, and that's word of mouth. If you tell me, oh, there's a great podcast, you have to, you know, you have to hear it, then I'll go look for it. Otherwise, I might be able to surface something on new and noteworthy in iTunes. But for the most part, if I like a podcast, I don't have an easy way to find Similar podcasts. Yeah, Yeah, they do exist within podcast apps, but I find them to be very hit and miss. So if this works the way that the Music Genome Project uh, has been very successful for Pandora, I mean, really, you know, created an entire music industry, um, then I'm all for it because I love listening to podcasts
3: yeah this is definitely the one big issue for podcasts and podcasting and podcasters is the discover discoverability issue in on YouTube you have videos on the side and playing afterwards at recommendations and all of that and it doesn't really exist for podcasts uh The one thing I do wonder though it is what would be our m p a a rating that's that's the important stuff uh
1: p g for pretty good <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that works yeah. Hey, folks, if you want to get all the tech headlines each day in about five minutes, be sure to subscribe to our sister show, DailyTechHeadlines.com. That's the opening theme of Daily Tech Headlines. It is, com. yeah. In
2: fact, I was like, ooh, I got to start talking.
1: <laughs> did, did that by uh, accident. <laughs> Power of suggestion, I guess. All right, let's talk about uh, the fact that more than 50 nations have signed on to a cybersecurity pact announced at the UNESCO Internet Governance Forum in Paris on Monday. President Emmanuel Macron uh, introduced the Paris Call for Trust and Security in cyber cyberspace to get people to establish international norms for the internet. This is not an enforceable document. I don't think it's meant to be. Uh, it's meant to be a start of a conversation which would hopefully end up with an enforceable document. 51 governments, in fact, all 28 of the EU governments have signed on. 90 nonprofits and universities signed it, and 130 private corporations and groups uh, signed it as well, including Microsoft, Google, Facebook, Intel. Uh, Visa signed it. Uh, Nestle signed it. A lot of companies were signed on to this because a lot of the principles of it are about making the Internet safer, for people, in fact, there are nine goals. I'm going to oversimplify them a little bit for for the f- expediency's sake, uh, but essentially, they want to protect individuals and in critical infrastructure, protect the availability, the accessibility of the internet, uh, stop election interference, stop intellectual property theft, particularly with a focus on trade secrets, stop malware and malicious tools from being used, strengthen security of the internet, educate the public about better cyber hygiene, as they call it, uh, stop hackbacks by non-state actors on other non-state actors, and promote responsible behavior and confidence building. So just just generally promote people behaving in a responsible way on the internet. Now, the U.S., Russia, China did not sign this. And those are three of the biggest countries who are having effect on the internet right now. Of course, North Korea, Iran, and Israel didn't sign it.
0: There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care.
1: visit stripe.com slash tap iphone either um but patrick you had an interesting take on this because all 28 eu countries introduced by the president of france uh is this the beginning of an eu-led model for the internet in opposition to u.s russia and china models for how the internet should work
3: yeah, that's, I think, what uh, comes out of this conversation. I mean, the goals themselves and and the fact that none of this is binding or specific, I think it's easy to deride it mm-hmm. and to think, ah, oh, these are just words and, and it doesn't really mean anything. And of course, we should be nice on the internet, kind of. But that's, I think, a very simplistic view of how these kinds of policies are established and how international relations are managed. Uh, I think this is the kind of document that can can become an important base for uh, future behavior at the highest levels. And if you take this into account and look at things like the way the EU has been uh, uh, approaching uh, the Internet and big Internet companies and things like uh, GDPR, which has had an influence in the entire world, I think we're starting to uh, uh, see emerge a, a a different proposition for how to handle ourselves. It's very wide uh, on the internet. We until now we really had one proposition, which was I don't know, do whatever you want. Which was I think <laughs> the U.S. <laughs> uh, proposition, which is probably still is and the other one that has emerged over the last few years has been a, a, a tighter like a very tight control of the internet in uh more autocratic uh countries and regimes and this seems to me like it could be a third Possibility, and um, I think it's an interesting one because it tries to strike a balance uh, and to order things, but not in a way that is restrictive. And and, and as you were saying, uh, the EU seems to be at the uh, center of it, maybe because we don't have a vested interest in the companies that make the internet. Um, so so I, I wonder if that you know. European vision for what the internet should be uh, is going to be an important one, or if it's going to fizzle out, or if it's actually real. But it certainly seems to be to me.
1: Yeah, I I mean, I feel like the internet is beyond nationality still. Uh, There there is the old way of the internet, which is do whatever you want, and it will self-correct. You know, the internet routes around everything. It'll be fine. And I find that prevalent most in open source movements, which are as strong, if not stronger, in the European uh, world uh, than than the, as, as they are in the United States, uh, they're they're very strong around the world, but they're strongest there. I, I think of the Scandinavian companies and the German and Germany yeah. uh, as real strongholds of that open source thinking, uh, as well as the sort of U.S. Wild West cowboy uh, version of that as well. But there's also the U.S. policy or the U.S. kind trend. To clamp down and stop the internet from hurting the children, to you know, to to get those big companies to be answerable for stuff, which isn't that far off from the way the EU does it. It's just that the EU is is very organized as a top down way of approaching that, whereas in the U.S. it it's more of a consumer complaint uh, driven situation. I think.
3: I, I think there's some of that, uh, but there are also other aspects of it. Like one of the goals is protect uh, protect availability of, of the internet. Uh, And that can have drastic implications in the way the industry is uh, uh, regulated. And certainly in the U.S., we've seen um, uh, trends towards maybe not uh, having effective competition uh where it might be needed. And I think those the interpretation of that point specifically might vary, but it could be uh, uh interpreted as well, we have to make sure you have good competition in that field. Uh education, like cyber hygiene, who's gonna do that? Uh maybe some companies have a vested interest in doing it, but it seems like the kind of thing that uh maybe a more top down approach would favor. So I I I would As a European, uh, I don't see this as the government trying to say how, how you should use the internet, but rather what is important in... Uh, in in going forward in the way we look at this new piece of infra- infrastructure that is important for society in the same way that you might look at electricity and, and say, well, this is how it should go. You People should have an a, a right to have electricity delivered in that way. And we should make sure that it works in, in this protected, you know, uh, safe way, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so I, I don't know if I'm you know, overstating the importance of this. But for me, as a European, it makes a lot of sense. And yes, the internet is still transnational, but this vision is something that can be tweaked, can be changed, but it's something that people can look at and think, well, maybe we don't want the Chinese model for the internet. Maybe the, the US model is a little bit too, the character way is too wild west. Maybe this is the the, the blueprint for how to handle these things that we w- would like to adhere, uh, to adhere to in the future.
1: Yeah. No, it's a it's an interesting viewpoint on on this and and this document. If you read it, is very much about stopping hacks. So so the part about availability is about stopping someone from denial of service attacks. It feels like uh, more than competition, but it's also just the beginning of the conversation about this. This isn't the final document by any stretch. Uh, so it it definitely could include that sort of of concern in the future.
3: Yeah. We are
2: going to include a thing of the day. Patrick, sorry to cut you off. Last thoughts?
3: No, no problem. Go ahead. I could talk about this for hours.
2: (laughs) Well, we'll revisit it next week, perhaps. Amateur traveler Chris Christensen is back with a tip for getting on broadband when you're out to sea.
4: This is Chris Christensen from Amateur Traveler with another Tech in Travel Minute. A new study has come out if you're interested in taking a cruise but you're afraid of losing your connection to the internet with which cruise lines have the best ship Wi-Fi service. And leading the pack is Viking Ocean Cruises, which has fast speed and also is free. Their average speeds were given as 50 megabytes per second for downloads and 8 megabytes per second for uploads. Which sounds great, but I have been on one of their ships, which is a great ship, great experience, but I think that's for the whole boat. I do have a call out to Viking to double check that. If you are on a cruise line and you really do need to do something like upload a podcast or check your email or upload your photos, God forbid, then the best time to do that is either in the middle of the night, I'm afraid to say, or if you can stay on the ship when other people are ashore, which is kind of limiting, but you are going to find faster speed at that time. I'm Chris Christensen from Amateur Traveler.
2: Pick your battles when you're on a cruise ship and need internet. Yes, I've been there, Chris. All right, let's move on to the mailbag. Exalted Cabler, or perhaps Cobbler, has feedback from Friday's show. Tim Stevens mentioned that EV batteries are better because they lack the need for breathers. Exalted says, my wife and I do a lot of serious off-roading, Rubicon, Moab, and mountains much closer to where we live. My reservation for buying an EV Jeep is the likelihood that water uh, will breach any of the electronics, which now make up the entire vehicle and lack of trust that the car makers will spend the money to completely seal them. With gas, I can add a snorkel, extend my breathers. But the many computers, PCM, PCM, BCM, or TIPM, are still vulnerable due to lack of proper factory sealing. Though, for the most part, they won't shut down the vehicle entirely. There'd be a need to be a long, successful history of banging around an EV Jeep on the trails through water crossings on multi-day trails without complete system shutdown before I'd risk buying
1: one. So you're not an early adopter. <laughs> That's what this, this email sounds like to me. These are all perfectly reasonable concerns. Uh, and and basically what he's saying is like, you can prove to me you can you can really solve these problems and then I'll think about it.
3: Makes sense. Yeah, I think also the issue is you don't want to be an early adopter and be stuck in the middle of the mountain. And so maybe these kinds of uses are not for early adopters, period. Perhaps. You know. Mm.
2: Well, Patrick Beja, I would call you an early adopter of awesomeness. <laughs> And I'm, <laughs> we're glad to have you on the show, as as we always are. Let folks know what you've been up to and how they can keep up with it.
3: Well, listen, if you want more of my early adopted awesomeness, um, you can do two things. If you like gaming, uh, you can listen to MVGB, which is the monthly video game briefing. That's if you are a... a, a You know, casual gamer, but if you're a more core gamer, you can listen to Pixels. And that is a show that uh, dives into the details of the industry and the games we cover. Um, if you enjoy international news, you might be interested in the Phileas Club, which is at FrenchSpin.com. We just did a special on Brazil. You know, there was a a controversial election just a couple of weeks ago. And uh, we had Guy on the show who explained to us why this happened, uh, what happened, and how it happened. So that was a a pretty interesting one. That's the Phileas Club. It's at FrenchSpin.com.
1: A lot of times, folks say, uh, "Man, why do you, why do you keep DTNs to only thirty minutes?" Uh, a lot of other people say, "Why does it have to be thirty minutes?" But really, we keep it to thirty minutes because that is and manageable amount for a daily show for a lot of listeners however if you would like more there is more to be had about our thoughts in the extended show good day internet available to our patrons as well as my friday editor's desk audio columns where i go into a lot more detail about my thoughts behind why we pick the stories we do those are just a couple of the perks you get by being a member of daily tech news show at patreon.com slash dtns
2: our email address is feedback at dailytechnewshow.com. Thanks for all the feedback. Keep it coming. We're live Monday through Friday at 4.30 p.m. Eastern, 2130 UTC. Find out more at dailytechnewshow.com slash live.
1: Back tomorrow with Scott Johnson. Talk to you then. Bye.
3: This show is part of the Frog Pants Network. Get more at frogpants.com
4: you have enjoyed this program. <laughs> Hi, this is Janice Torres from Yo Quiero Dinero. From a local business to a global corporation, partnering with Bank of America gives your operation access to exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do?